DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. It's been another big week in Georgia and national politics. You get a little bit tired of hearing that. I get tired of saying it because every week is filled with extraordinary headlines uh, that we talk about on the show. I want to get right to uh, the topics for today. We are going to talk about the interesting contrast between uh, Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp's plans for how they want to spend the enormous surplus the state has. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about, as well, um, the uh, uh, contrasting um, approaches that both of them have taken to uh, President Biden's uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Um, we'll do all that and more, but we do have a new headline today, which is that Stacey Abrams is now weighing in on Brian Kemp's uh, reluctance suddenly to honor a subpoena to appear in front of Fonnie Willis's special grand jury investigating uh, possible um, uh, efforts to overturn the elect possible, possible criminal activity in trying to overturn the results of the election. So we'll get to all that right now. Uh, first, let me introduce the panel. Jim Galloway, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great, uh, and it's good to be back after a kind of a two-week hiatus from for myself, and I, I guess you too. Yeah, I was off for about ten days in Colorado, but I am awfully glad I'm back this week because there's so much happening. Your former colleague from the Atlanta Journal Constitution is with us today from Washington, Tia Mitchell, the Washington reporter for the AJC, and, and you know, Tia, we should also say uh, you are now. Uh, sitting in an anchor chair at C-SPAN and spending a lot of time as an analyst on CNN. You're doing an awful lot of TV work, uh, Tia. We're glad you still have time to be on Political Rewind. I always have time for Political Rewind. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Audrey Haynes is uh, with us after having been off teaching for most of the summer, a professor of political science at the University of Georgia and the overseer of the applied politics program at UGA, which trains students for careers in politics. Audrey, it's awfully good to have you back. Oh, it's awfully good to be back. Thank you, Bill. And Chuck Cook. Uh, one of the top immigration attorneys in the country, also, though, an, a very careful observer of politics. Um, we'd like to have Chuck on. We are going to talk about an immigration story in Georgia later in the show. But, Chuck, we're glad to have you here giving your analysis and all the news we cover. Bill, it's always a pleasure to be here with you and this panel. All right. All right. So let's get right to it. Um, as we know, just to set the stage for this conversation— uh, it's been a couple months since Fonnie Willis and uh, Governor Kemp apparently had what appeared to be an agreement that he would give video testimony uh, in front of the special grand jury based on the fact that he was one of the officials in the state who received phone calls from Donald Trump and others uh, who wanted him to do something to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election here. Um, to the best of all of our knowledge, that uh, testimony was going to proceed, take place, but it didn't. And we've learned more recently that, in fact, there's now a conflict between Fonnie Willis and Governor Kemp over his testimony. He's now trying to quash the subpoena to testify, even though he's considered a witness, not a target. Um, and there were, uh, were some pretty nasty exchanges particularly on the part of Fonnie Willis. We talked about this yesterday. She responded to um, uh, the uh, Kemp attorney, Brian McAvoy, who said this was a political uh, 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 process uh, coming too soon before the election by saying <laughs> many things, including this. We have been working with you in good faith for months. 
she said to the attorney. You've been rude and even disparaging to my staff. You've been less than honest about conversations that have taken place. The email you have sent uh, saying he, you, this is a political game is offensive and beneath an officer of the court. You are both wrong and confused. And now we've learned that uh, next week, the governor's effort to quash the subpoena will be heard in court. Having said all that, Jim Galloway, let's add one more element. Last night, for what I think is the first time, Stacey Abrams on CNN weighed in and accused Brian Kemp of being a Trump Republican afraid to uh, go before the grand jury and criticize Donald Trump. So it becomes an issue now in the governor's race, Jim. Yeah, you know, uh, Bill, over the last couple of shows, uh, uh, your, you and your panelists have made the, the, the point that 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 uh, when the FBI uh, uh, executed that search warrant on Mar-a-Lago, they really stepped on on top of Joe Biden's uh, good news about uh, legislation passed at the U.S. Capitol. Stacey Abrams is working the other side of that coin because you've got you've got. Because Donald Trump refuses to go away, both as a legal figure and as a potential candidate, as a likely uh, 2024 presidential candidate to announce, you know, maybe maybe in the in, in the in the next month or so, you know, that poses all sorts of problems for uh, for Republicans. And she's taking advantage of that. That's this. Uh, yeah, I, before we went on air, I mean, Chuck made the point is, you know, that 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 this is something Brian Kemp should have gotten out of the way back in July. Uh, when this, when when a when a simple video, uh, uh, a video uh, uh, testimony, testimony was going to be required, and now it's going to have to be in person, and that's 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 a big deal coming up on Labor Day as as we really get down to cases in the campaign. Tia, um, uh, to continue this conversation um, on on CNN last night, Stacey Abrams said, among other things, this. Brian Kemp is a dangerous extremist who has tried to hide himself behind one good action, refusing to go along with the president's plan, former president's plan to overturn the election. He's playing both moderate and MAGA, but he is just extreme. He wants credit for standing up to Trump, but he's refusing to testify to tell the truth. Tia? Yeah, and and that's what I find so interesting because, quite frankly, this has been Stacey Abrams and her campaign's private frustration that, you know, Brian Kemp was really being allowed to have his cake and eat it, too. He was being held up as this anti-Trump crusader who defended the election, but at the same time, he was, you know, being careful not to antagonize the former president. He was not critical of the former president. And we know policy-wise, he aligns with not just President Trump, but all the the policies of the right. Brian Kemp is right there. So I know that was frustrating for Stacey Abrams. That made it really hard for her to find a way to get in and um, create some contrast, create some um, some possibilities to kind of pull away those independent voters. And this issue with Bonnie Willis gives her that opportunity. I think she and her allies feel it gives her something to hold on to, to say, hey, wait, guys, you're giving the governor too much credit. He is not anti-Trump, which he isn't. And the media has been saying that, you know, he did stand up to President Trump when it mattered. And I think that carries a lot of weight. But he is not anti-Trump. Yes, and I would add a couple of things um, in this. And one is, you know, in regard to uh, what you mentioned earlier about Fonnie Willis's letter, it's important to remember that it was directed at um, specifically the attorney, uh, McAvoy, in response to some of the things he said. And it was very clear that when she spoke about the governor and the office of the governor, she spoke with a lot of respect. And if you read the letter that she wrote, Outside of the fact that she says, you know, you, McAvoy, are confused and wrong, it was actually a very respectful, very professional letter. Now, some of the comments may have been a little bit um, more filled with vitriol, but, you know, this is a really interesting case to see what's gone on and how Kemp has really tried to kind of avoid that spotlight. And, and I think with Abrams at this point, tying uh, the governor to, Kemp, to Trump, Governor Kemp to Trump, 
is a positive strategy, given that we're seeing sort of the scales flip a little bit. Democrats are having a bit of a positive time. In fact, in the Gallup poll, Biden's numbers um, have just gone up. His disapproval has gone down. You know, things feel like they're getting back to normal with gas. The economic news is getting more positive. And on the Trump side, the news has gotten more negative. And as the story unfolds, it could be even worse. So strategically, from the campaign perspective, this is a smart strategy for her. Chuck? You know, Bill, Bill, on the on the first point, um, as a practicing lawyer, uh, that's just a classic lawyer. I'm angry at the other lawyer letter. That, that's what I've seen that kind of letter many times. Um, but as, <laughs> as to the issue, you just see that sometimes you just get frustrated as a lawyer, you just let it out against other counsel. Um, but the governor here, this is interesting to me. First of all, the, the subpoena is not going to be squashed. If they didn't squash it against a sitting U.S. senator, they're not going to squash his spirit. So now he's bringing more attention. But here's the big kicker. Governor Kemp has never really talked about his conversation with Trump. We, we have no idea what he said. And so the question is, why is he fighting this so hard? What does he know that he doesn't want anybody else to find out about? I mean, that, that's what spurs my interest at this. And clearly, Bonnie thinks the same thing. There must be something here if they're protecting it so hard. Jim? Uh, yeah, and, and, and you have to wonder, to, to, more to Chuck's point, is they've, they've got to be, uh, there have got to be just volumes of requests in for emails, for phone logs, uh, for, 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 for calendar appointments. Uh, there's, there, he's right. There's a whole realm of, of, of things that haven't been disclosed that ought to have been disclosed months ago, uh, and uh, but now they could they could come out. I mean, yes, this grand jury uh, uh, testimony is secret, but things come out in hearings like this one that's scheduled for 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 next week. Things come out, and and to have them come out in within ninety days of an election, maybe that's not so good. Audrey, you want to jump back in? Well, I would also argue that the the um, reasoning that, you know, we don't want to do this because it's going to affect the campaign and the argument that it's politically motivated. Well, that it's going to affect the campaign really, I believe, is a non-starter. I mean, especially when it could have been done earlier. And in regular law, you know, things affect people's lives. And the very fact that you are someone who is running a campaign is really not critical. Um, and again, I think the more we learn about this, um, again, Chuck said it, all of those other uh, subpoenas have been upheld. And if you go on Twitter, they have now given Fonnie Willis the dark Brandon look, right? So with the eyes, <laughs> a strong woman. Um, so, uh, so, you know, my expectation is, you know, mm. it may play out stronger for her. She looks like she's doing her duty. And, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see the back and forth. But we don't know a lot. There's a lot we don't know. And some of this may be concern from the governor's office that he's going to be asked questions that um, the parameters now have been widened. And that may be concerning to them. Tia, I want to give you a chance to jump back in. But let me just um, we've talked around this a bit, but let's talk about it quite specifically. Um, there's a Brad Raffensperger effect that I think Brian Kemp has benefited from uh, so far in the polling of the race. And I mean by that, when Raffensperger stood up to Donald Trump uh, during the primary, we know there were Democrats who took Republican ballots to reward him, to say, this is a guy with integrity, we can support him, despite the fact that he's a very conservative Secretary of State. And, and it seems to me that it's clear that Brian Kemp has benefited, too, from his unwillingness to go along with Donald Trump and perhaps is pulling support from independent voters who who believe he's uh, done the right thing. Plus, the, the state's in pretty good shape economically, whatever. Um, but this kind of undermines that if, in fact, he's uh, asked to go in there and attack, uh, if, if he's refusing to go in there and say what he knows about the, uh, how the president tried to get to him. And again, this is like checkmate for Stacey Abrams because her and her supporters, folks who are skeptical of Governor Kemp, can now paint it as not just 
oh, he's reluctant to testify. They're saying he's reluctant to testify because he knows he's going to have to say things that are critical of former President Trump, and he doesn't want to go on the record saying those things. Or he's afraid that he'll say things telling the truth under oath that <laughs> that will undermine, you know, his reluctance to be publicly critical of the former president. So they're able to say, no, it's really you, Governor Kemp, who's politicizing this this investigation. You're so afraid of telling the truth about Donald Trump, you don't want to testify. And again, we see, we already see Stacey Abrams planting those seeds. And again, that could, we know that in the middle, those independent voters who helped Joe Biden carry Georgia, Part of it is because those voters wanted to get past, you know, the chaos, the controversies, and the threats to democracy that President Trump uh, represented. And so I think that Stacey Abrams really and, – and I, and I wonder if there are even some Republicans who believe that, you know, this is a political misstep for Governor Kemp because he has opened up this line of criticism that could shave off the voters he needs. Audrey, I want to ask you about one last point before we move on. On, on our show yesterday when we discussed this, we had two attorneys, Chuck Cook's on today, and he sort of hinted at this too, who suggested this is kind of just lawyers going back and forth, and in the long run it'll be, res- be resolved. The governor will probably have to testify. But, but Audrey, here's the thing that I wonder about. This is yet another story which undermines people's faith in the institutions of government, whether this is lawyers playing games with one another or not, to call this a political witch hunt, all it does is continue this theme that has become so rampant uh, is in the Trump years and beyond that we can't trust our institutions to operate honestly and with integrity. Well, and some some groups, um, some partisans probably believe that more than others, depending on whose side it is. And you know what? I would argue that political rhetoric has always been a part of, you know, chipping away at, you know, the opposition. Um, so, you know, we do have to be concerned about that. Um, I, but I would also argue that we don't know all of the facts of the case, too. From what I understand from listening to um, uh Patricia Murphy talked this morning about the incident. You know, on on the one hand, for Kemp's people, there was this argument that one of their staff members who was, um, you know, went in for an interview was asked questions that, you know, they felt went beyond the parameters that were promised. So part of it is just that pushback from attorneys like, you know, we had an agreement. Why aren't you doing this? So they may feel that they have some cause themselves, so to be balanced. But I want to go back to Tia's point. Right now, independents in Georgia are split. Um, If you look at recent polls, one that the AJC did, um, Kemp has about 32%, 33%. Abrams is pulling in about 30%. That's a a pretty close split. And, you know, he's only ahead by five points. He may be right to be worried about this in terms of how it might affect the campaign. On the other hand, a lot of people aren't even paying attention to this story yet. We'll see what the Twitterverse is. We are. But in the long run, three months from now, it may not be critically important unless something comes out. Okay, thank you all for uh, this conversation. Obviously, it'll continue to be an issue. Next week, there will be the uh, court action in which the subpoena will be evaluated. Uh, by a judge to see whether uh, the governor does have to testify, and we'll report on all of that and more. Excuse me. Uh, Jim, let's move on. I'd like to talk a bit about the economic policies that Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp have been laying out uh, for the state. There are contrasts. Um, We know that the state of Georgia has an enormous budget surplus, billions of dollars in surpluses. Uh, Some of that is a result of federal COVID relief money. Uh, Also, in fact, inflation uh, plays a role. As prices go up, sales, the the state collects more in tax revenues. And Kemp and um, Abrams have very different ideas about how to spend that money. Uh, Kemp wants to uh, have another big tax rebate, a billion-dollar income tax rebate, which would 
uh, give individuals in the state up up to $500 in uh, return. But he also wants to have state agencies hold their budgets in in, in at, at current levels. He doesn't want uh, to uh, let them increase their budget. So he's trying to have a conservative approach. On the other hand, Abrams is calling for a big tax rebate as well. She's also talking about creating uh, new green energy jobs, which will uh, uh, cost money. She wants to expand Medicaid coverage. She wants to boost teacher, teacher pay by more than Kemp has, some $11,000. She wants to invest $500 million in affordable housing. And it goes on and on. So, And she's now saying that won't be paid for by tax increases. It'll be paid for because she supports sports betting and uh, the ability for the state to build three casinos. All right, I know I've talked a lot, but the point is they are taking different approaches to how that money should be spent. Right, right. Uh, Brian Kemp is taking the very, very traditional Republican approach that, you know, this is this is your your money, uh, not ours. And, and if we have too much of it, we're going to give it back. That is uh, Abrams is 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 making a, a, a more nuanced play, saying that you can take that money and invest it or uh, arrange it so that so that it's not a one time uh, one time payment that it, you can that you can that you can uh, uh, can can arrange for that to to uh, to to be per, uh, perpetuating. Uh, I would find it you know it, one, one thing I'm, I'm I'm interested in is a couple things. Number one on, on Kemp's part, I haven't heard any any across the board. Uh, uh, the talk of across the board raises for 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 state employees in in very specific areas like corrections and and in such where you're just where you're just losing so many people because they're running off to these higher paying paying jobs uh, uh, that are uh, the, the, the the private companies are are are, are, are now uh, offering up and the other part of that is. I'm not here. You know, there's, there's, there are these whispers. We heard them in 20, 2016 uh, until Donald Trump became president. But there are these Republican whispers uh, that it's time for Georgia to join uh, Medicaid expansion. And, and, and that's, that's part of what, what, what Abrams is talking about using that money, money for to help, uh, help, uh, help, uh, help, uh, to to pay the state's share of that. Uh, I have not heard that on the camp side yet. Um, Chuck, we should say, of course, that, that expanding full expansion of Medicaid has been a goal of Stacey Abrams since her first run for governor in, uh, excuse me, 2018. It continues to be a major issue. We know that there was reporting this week that there are some Republicans in the legislature whispering about a full expansion. Uh, but as I talk to journalists uh, who cover the Capitol routinely, they say it's unlikely that it sounds like there are some people that want to do it, but most don't. Um, so go ahead and give us your thoughts about well, the difference my, in the way they want to approach this surplus. My first thought is really interesting is this is really not extra tax money that the Georgia suddenly has. Yeah, it's a little bit of it. The vast majority of this money came from Joe Biden. Uh, and it just wasn't spent spent by Governor Kemp. And now he's basically saying, hey, we got all this extra money. We're going to give it back to you. We, you can't give back money you didn't take from somebody. Um, this is not really tax stuff. So it, I find it interesting. That it's, it's kind of like some Republicans today are saying, isn't it great that insulin is capped at $35 a month when they didn't vote for it? Said same thing. They're they're using this great benefit they received for their own campaign purposes. Uh, it, it's interesting that that uh, Stacey Abrams basically wants to you know use this money to systematically change how Georgia treats the the, the large majority of its of its residents, whereas Governor wants to give back three hundred fifty dollars. Now three hundred fifty dollars is not pocket change, but it's not a lot of money. It's not going to have life changing effect on anybody because it's a one time give back. Uh, it should be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few weeks, because he's the governor. He's going to do what he wants to do. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the, the expansion of Medicaid at the, in the Republican legislature, you know, let's see what happens in the election, because I think you have to see major changes in the Georgia legislature for that to pass. Audrey, it strikes me that one of the issues that Abrams has now raised, one of her, her pledges would under normal circumstances be getting a lot more attention than it has, probably because of the rush of other headlines out there. One of her proposals is to create a new scholarship fund for hope 
that would give C students access to scholarship money. And Audrey, you know well as a university teacher that the HOPE Scholarship has benefited uh, top students, mostly in better schools where they have an opportunity to score better on testing uh, and the like. And so this notion of expanding it for students who are more in, in, in the, you know, the C, uh, C uh, grade range, uh, under normal circumstances, could be a big deal. Well, it could be, and I would argue that, you know, um, different schools have different um, uh, entry-level requirements. So students getting uh, the HOPE scholarship may have access to schools, and and it may actually have an impact on increasing enrollment in a lot of the other schools outside of the the major R1 universities here on campus. But I'd also argue that students who are 16 and 17 and 18 years old that make a C often make a C because of the circumstances they find themselves in, their age. When they go off to college, that could be a life-changing event and give them access. Uh, Nobody who is a C student necessarily means that they're not going to be productive in life. So I would argue there's, there's some support for that. Um, I would um, I would also want to ch- chime in and say one of the differences uh, rhetorically is when people say that you're going to get money back and it's $250, they like that. It's a much more difficult persuasion uh, argument to make that when we invest in Medicare, not only are you going to benefit, but everyone around you is going to benefit and the whole state is going to benefit. Or if we invest in affordable housing, there is this huge economic benefit from all of the costs that go down associated with fighting poverty and health increases. That is a more complex <laughs> argument. Often people don't make that argument, even though rationally they are better off by that investment. Tia? Yeah, and I think, number one, when Medicaid expansion, when Obamacare first passed in 2008, I was in Florida. I was covering health care, and I remember looking, and Florida was one of the last states to do regular Medicaid. And we don't remember those times because now what state doesn't have regular Medicaid? And so I came to the conclusion back then that Medicaid expansion was going to be along those same lines that, yes, state by state, they would embrace it, embrace it, embrace it. And then one day, all 50 states would have expanded Medicaid. And then in the future, people like there was a time when there was piecemeal and we won't even remember those times. So it's only it's inevitable. Georgia will expand Medicaid eventually. It may not be this year. It may not be this decade, but it's going to happen because we're going to see states fall one by one by one. Let Florida or Alabama expand Medicaid, and you see Georgia won't be very far behind. Now, for the bigger issue, I will say that, again, I hope, you know, to me, this is what elections should be about. This is the conversation we should be having, and you look at the candidates, There is a contrast here. It's not a right or wrong. Um, You know, we've already talked about how checks to individuals are something that are appealing to folks because it goes straight to them, straight to their pocket, whereas something like Medicaid expansion and safety nets are more global for everyone. And that also means that some people will benefit more from from that than others. If you're already someone who has private insurance, then no, Medicaid expansion doesn't help you directly, but will it help perhaps the family down the street in a way that could lower your taxes in the long run or lower crime in your neighborhood in the long run? Yes, but that's harder to sell in our, you know, individualistic society in America. So, but... But to me, that's a good thing. Now voters can decide which policy, which which proposals they like better. Tia, I like the way you just framed that. And I think we should uh, take this moment to have our first break in the show. We'll come back with a lot more on Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. 
Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Chuck Cook, Audrey Haynes, Tia Mitchell, Jim Galloway join me for the Friday edition of Political Rewind. Let, let's talk quickly, Jim, about uh, the latest uh, announcement from Governor Kemp, which is that the College Football National Championship will be played in Atlanta in 2025. And I want to put it in the political context for this reason, as you know. When Music Midtown, which is arguably the biggest cultural uh, tourist attraction in the state every year, uh, uh, announced surprising to everyone's surprise they were canceling this year's uh, uh, shows uh, because they could not get a judge uh, to uh, 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 say that they could forbid people to carry guns on site. Um, Democrats uh, immediately went on the attack saying this is this is what happens when people like Governor Kemp and other Republicans pass the most permissive gun laws imaginable, we're going to lose lots of events because of this. It turns out that that is not going to be a very effective argument, although certainly Democrats will continue to talk about the permissive uh, uh, gun laws that uh, Republicans have passed, but not about events. It doesn't look like we're going to lose much over this. No, no, and and uh, to, just to, to to clarify, the uh, the the Music Midtown uh, decision was based on a 2014 law, I believe. It was, it was passed in 2014 during the Nathan Deal administration, and it has to yes, do with yes. where you where where you can carry whether you can carry a gun on public property and whether 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 the private uh, vendors control that property. I think what we're running into here is a is a is a is a is a problem with with uh, uh, that 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 boycott cots have have uh, kind of uh, lost their fizz a little bit here because if you if you uh, if, if, for instance take the issue of abortion uh, if you if you boycott Georgia because of abortion where do you go you've got you know half to two-thirds of the other states that have have, have or are considering uh, laws equal to to Georgia's Georgia's uh, abortion rate. Same thing on same thing on on guns these days. Uh, outside of New York, California, and, uh, and a few other states, it's you know you're you're if you if you if you boycott one site and go to another, you may face the main same decision. All right. Um, I, I just wanted to point out that this seems to be a, 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 a something the Democrats are not going to be able to take much advantage of. And while you're right, yes, Jim, it was based on that Nathan Deal uh, law. Uh, Democrats have certainly tried to tie it to Brian Kemp, who's continued this uh, legislation that uh, allows uh, guns to be carried more broadly. Tia? Yeah, and I just want to say, um, just because Georgia is still getting big events, which are great. We all, I enjoy the big events, the Super Bowls, the championships, the big concerts. Just because Georgia continues to get some of them doesn't negate the fact that there are other events the state is losing because of its lax gun laws. Both can be true. And some of that is because there is, it is a very different thing logistically to do a big outdoor music festival with um, tens of thousands of people in a relatively open kind of venue versus um, something at an arena or a stadium that's, even though it's still a large crowd, it's a little bit more of a controlled area. So um, it's the big outdoor music festivals particularly those that could be targeted by someone who wanted to be a mass shooter or, a, you know, a mass casualty event. We know that outside, outdoors is more vulnerable, and those are the, the venues where those um, promoters are saying we might not be able to come to Georgia. All right, um, let's move on. Um, Audrey, you pointed out that Gallup is showing some improvement for uh, President Biden in his approval ratings. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about Biden, uh, uh, how, how uh, the top candidates on the Georgia ballot, uh, Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock, are dealing with uh, President Biden. And let's particularly focus more on Raphael Warnock because he's in the state, he's got a bus tour, 
crossing the state. And while there are Democrats who are running away from uh, President Biden, Raphael Warnock has been traveling across South Georgia celebrating what the uh, impact could be of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which the president finally was able to sign into law after a year or more of negotiations. It's got climate change measures in it. It um, will reduce costs for seniors with their medical expenses um, and more. Uh, what, what do you think about the fact that uh, suddenly we've got Democrats here running with Joe Biden, not against him? Well, that is um, indicative of the fact that the winds of politics seem to, you know, blow in, in different directions all the time. We're very dynamic. We get a lot of news. Things are changing. I mean, it has been sort of a historical summer. You know, Democrats, because they were so concerned that, you know, the predictions of the House being taken over by Republicans winning in the midterm elections really pushed them to do work. You had Joe Manchin in the Senate, you know, uh, working on, um, you know, this this deal, um, you know, not to mention um, the fact that, you know, for Warnock, he also has his compatriot, Senator Ossoff doing the same thing, going across the state. Interestingly enough, meeting with Republican leaders in the state, talking about all the things that are going to benefit the state. You know, in fact, both of them are acting like those ideal senators who know how to talk about um, bringing home the bacon. You know, we don't have as, quite as much pork, but, you know, there's some real investments in here. I will tell you, I think that Democrats have done a poor job of articulating all of the benefits that some of this legislation will bring outside of Senator Warnock and Senator Ossoff. That's one of the things that they don't do is simplify the message and say, we're doing this, they're not. We're doing this, they're not. This is how it affects you. Um, they're not doing anything for you. And um, they would be better off if they could do more of that very simple messaging that hones in on the benefits they bring individuals and the state. So um, I, I think that, you know, again, Warnock is being very smart. Um, I think we'll see it, as Biden's tide rises, you'll, you'll see more connection with the campaigns. Chuck? You know, one of the things we do know is that Biden's possible positives go well above 50 percent. We know that. Something tr President Trump never experienced going above 50 percent. So there is an upside um, should the, the, the Democrats nationally begin to understand what Audrey just talked about, is you need to sell this message and sell it effectively without having to explain it for 25 minutes. Um, you need to get your sound bites, you need to get it out there, you need to make it happen. Uh, but uh, it's, it's good to see that our senators are on the ground here. Too many states, and we, of course, had a senator who for six years never had a town hall. It's great to see them going out putting boots to the ground. Again, this goes back to real politics. I think we're seeing some real good old-fashioned political campaigns here where people are on the ground talking to their neighbors, talking to their friends, talking to con potential constituents, uh, and uh, trying to get their message across. I think it's going to be a really interesting fall as it heats up after Labor Day. Uh, and this campaign on both sides is going to be, I think, quite enjoyable for those of us who love politics. Chuck, one quick question. I think you need to explain what you mean by Biden has a potential of going over 50 percent. Uh, he, he won the election. He won the popular vote. But he hasn't been able to keep his numbers uh, certainly ah. anywhere near even 50 percent. I'd love to explain that. Keep in mind, his first several months in office, he was well above 50 percent. Um, so there are clearly more than 50 percent of the American public who are willing to like him, willing to think he's, he can do positive things. Uh, that's you know, been driven down by the, I think it started really in Afghanistan last year, our withdrawal. Uh, but uh, it just never really got going after that with all the deaths and COVID. And now I think we're seeing a little bit of a turnaround. We'll see. He's also been okay. in, in his basement for a while, and his numbers always go up when he's in his basement. So that, that's a good thing. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jim. <laughs> yeah, it just, uh, I just want Jim, we just lost you. We're going to have to reconnect you. Unfortunately, um, so Natalie uh, uh, Mendenhall will work on getting you uh, uh, back with us, but I don't think we've got your microphone for the time. But let's do this. Why don't we take a break right now, uh, reestablish a connection with uh, Galloway, and continue on today's Political Rewind. 
Jim Galloway, I think you're back with us, and I know you wanted to make a comment about uh, the uh, uh, wisdom of embracing uh, President Biden, as Warnock and Abrams are doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to emphasize something that that, that Chuck said that that you have two U.S. senators making the rounds, uh, holding 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 uh, uh, open hearings or not hearings, but just kind of making public appearances, and and. How that that is something that we have not seen probably since re, really to to a large degree since two thousand nine in the Tea Party years, because you remember uh, the, the the town hall meetings became kind of a venue for this the, this vitriol this anger that 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 might that would come out and you would have uh, uh, I mean I mean uh, you you would have uh, uh, Republicans specifically uh, start canceling them they started going to to tele. Uh, tel- telephone t- count, teleconference town meetings, uh, and even now you ha- on the Republican side, you have you have this uh, this uh, uh, kind of a, a, a Trump esque uh, practice of holding unannounced uh, rallies, invitation only on private property, where you can really control who hears the message and who who uh, who's allowed to attend. So it's 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 kind of an interesting. Uh, just to see normality kick in uh, is 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 a little is, is quite unusual. Okay, but I have to say before we move on, Audrey, if I'm reading my news re- correctly, one of the Republicans who's been out there really trying to uh, rally support for Republicans is Kelly Leffler of all uh, people. She's really taken her new organization to uh, uh, su- to uh, build the ranks of Republican voters pretty seriously. Which is a little surprising considering uh, her lack of any expertise in politics when she was appointed to the U.S. Senate. Well, that may be true, but I will tell you, I've had a number of students who have interned with Greater Georgia. And their reports back to me is that she is taking her job very seriously. She's studying. um, And look, they um, they have spreadsheets. They are going after every single possible vote, including targeting, you know, 17-year-olds who are going to be able to vote in November. Um, they, they know that the statewide races are going to be closer than people think. That's what okay. I would tell you. Um, okay. I want to take advantage of the fact that we have one of the country's leading immigration lawyers with us, Chuck Cook, today, and talk about Uh, at least one, if not two, major immigration stories. Chuck, a couple of weeks ago, the AJC broke what I thought was a stunning story about the fact that there are a couple of businesses in Georgia that are using a special visa program for Mexican, for professionals, bringing them to the country legally with the understanding they'd be in professional jobs and putting them to work as minimum wage workers on assembly lines. That is a startling a story, and there's now a federal lawsuit over this. Yeah, Bill, that's labor trafficking. Uh, it's human trafficking at its core. Uh, <clears throat> these, uh, these most, I think they were all men that were professional engineers in Mexico, were promised jobs in the automotive industry, which was their specialty working on in Mexico, when many of them had jobs already in the automotive industry in Mexico. And were brought up here, and they were they were installing doors on cars. They were just doing factory work. Uh, they were living seven to an apartment. It is an absolutely stunning event. Uh, we represent a couple of these individuals at this point. Uh, they are eligible for a special visa for victims of trafficking. But somebody asked me yesterday, "How did this happen? You know, you know, how did the system fail? Is the visa bad? The visa itself comes out of what was called NAFTA, is now the USMCA." Americans have a similar visa to go to Mexico and do similar type of professional jobs. What happened here was this is not a visa that's approved by the Immigration Service. This is a visa that's done purely at the consulate. And the consulate does not have the systems in place to see if there's fraud afterwards. They don't have the systems in place to track, you know, why is one employer hiring 50 engineers in one location? That just doesn't seem correct. So there was a failure within the system at the Department of State to really catch the, the signs that, hey, there's something odd going on here. We should send somebody to investigate. And it really took the individuals finally just getting fed up, one of them actually talking to a really great young reporter at the AJC, uh, and then that breaking. I mean, I did talk to that reporter early on before he was writing a story to 
talk about what the system was like. Uh, but this is shocking. I don't think it's wildly widespread, uh, but it, I, I would suspect now that it will end and that the Fed, our, our consular officers will pay a lot more attention in Mexico to these visas. Um, yeah, I was shocked by it. Uh, uh, Jim, these uh, companies are uh, uh, they're businesses that supply auto parts of various kinds to Hyundai. Um, and the companies who are involved in this claim that, in fact, uh, they are, the jobs they're giving to these uh, workers are, are perfectly appropriate. They're being paid decent wages. Um, I mean, they're fighting back, but but this was a startling story, Jim. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think one of the lines, one of their lines of argument is that uh, assembly work is engineering, uh, which which I would I would uh, I, I would kind of differ with. But and 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 this is the, uh, these these fellows are being paid eleven dollars an hour, which is is that's that's not the going rate yeah. at Kia and other places. Yeah. Um, Tia, there's another immigration story that you're faced with um, in Washington, D.C. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who, of course, has always been uh, uh, very, very tough on immigration, doesn't he wants his borders more secured. He says he'll build his own wall because uh, the Trump wall is not being followed through by uh, by the Biden administration. And, and of course, what he's begun to do is send busloads of undocumented immigrants to Washington, D.C., and now to New York City as well. And in Washington, the mayor has said, we don't, we can't handle this. We need help. We need uh, 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 troops uh, from the National Guard or whatever. She's been refused on that score. Talk a little bit about what's going on with that in Washington. Yeah, so apparently, I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but I've seen the media reports that literally, you know, in we heard Governor Abbott say, I'm going to take these immigrants, I'm going to put them on buses, and I'm going to send them to Washington, D.C. And it sounds like hyperbole, but apparently that is actually what's happening. Like, literally, there are buses pulling up to D.C. and just letting people out and then leaving them right there. And the city, uh, D.C. and other cities that have been kind of Democratic cities that are the places where these buses end up. Of course, they have social service organizations, and so they have people kind of there to meet the buses and provide the, um, you know, shelter, food, clothing, but they're starting to run out of resources. You know, there's limited resources, there's limited capacity. And I think, you know, Governor Abbott and those who support him will say, hey, see, this goes to show you, y'all, we don't want it to be our problem, and neither does Washington, D.C., um, and that's, I think that's true and that's fair. Nobody wants it to be their problem, but I think that ignores the fact that these people exist, and just sending them somewhere else doesn't erase their existence. It just makes it someone else's problem. That's the issue that the United States needs to face. Congress should have done comprehensive immigration reform decades ago. Um, I'm sure Charles can talk more about why that's not happening, but that's really <laughs> the crux of this issue here. Chuck? You know, what's interesting about this, is, uh, these are the same politicians who 10 years ago wanted to make it a federal crime to transport people who are undocumented, and they're now transporting them to a different city. Uh, most of these people uh, that are doing this wouldn't settle in Texas anyway. Uh, there are allegations that they are deceived on how they're not. I mean, it's not like he's lining people up and forcing them on buses. He's offering them a ride somewhere. They're just being uncle they're being a little unclear about where they're going and the purpose of them going. Most of them would be going to the Northeast to be with relatives. But more importantly, these are people that uh, Customs and Border Protection has already cleared to enter the United States legally to seek asylum. I mean, that's that's what you're seeing at the southern border. It's not groves of people that, that Governor Abbott's picking up on the street by the border and then just sending to New York. These are folks with immigration documents. They have hearings coming up. Uh, they have gone through an, a, a process whereby their claims have been pre-vetted, and they are beginning the immigration journey. So you can call them undocumented if you want to, but the reality is they're legally using our immigration system. 
Now, at the same time, yeah, a lot of people come through Texas, and, and Governor of Arizona is doing the same thing. They're, and they have, they're overwhelmed with the sheer numbers that have been coming in in the last few months. But at the same time, there is a plan in place to deal with them. This is yet another example of the Biden administration doing a terrible job explaining what is going on. And, and I would follow, follow up that, um, number one, you know that Abbott is running for president. There you go. So a lot of this <laughs> is not really a true effort to, um, you know, reach any kind of collaborative uh, uh, answer to a problem, but rather it is a stunt that, again, because people don't know the facts, when they, they see it, they're like, oh, that's so simple, you know, this is this and, you know, whatever. The interpretation is without context when, as Tia said and as Chuck has said, it's a bit more complicated, sort of a misrepresentation. And the people who are paying attention to it are watching Fox News and they're getting a certain message over and over again. And that's what Abbott wants. He is getting exactly what he wants from this stunt. Um, Jim, all that said, it seems to me in the, the most humanistic aspect of this, this is extraordinary cruelty. Yeah. I, I, it, it is. And, and I do have a, just a question of clarification for Chuck here. Okay, these people have entered, as, as you say, they're, they're taking advantage of, 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 of asylum. They've been assigned, I assume, a, a hearing, but they're being shipped hundreds of miles away how do they get back to their hearing site if it's in Texas or is it someplace else? Generally, it's got to be a quick answer, set, Chuck. Uh, yeah, it, their hearing is set for where they told immigration they're going. So the hearing might be in New York, it might be in Atlanta, and it's not set in Texas, generally speaking. Thank you. Um, well, Jim Galloway, thank you. Thank all of you for a really wonderful conversation about any number of subjects today. I said when we went on the air that it's been another big week in politics. It has been. And this panel, uh, I really appreciate all you've uh, been able to comment on uh, today. So uh, Chuck Cook, Jim Galloway, Audrey Haynes, Tia Mitchell, thank you so much for being with us. We're out of time for our show today. Uh, but before we go, I want to remind you of the people who really make this show happen. And that means our engineers, Victoria Evans-Cash, Jay Cook, our producer, Chase McGee, our senior producer, Natalie Mendenhall, um, and all of the people in the uh, GPB newsroom who uh, offer us ideas and suggestions for Political Rewind. We did not get to talk about the battle going on in Forsyth County, the court case now, uh, but by some mothers who say that they're being silenced and not allowed to go to school board meetings to object to uh, what they think are books that shouldn't be on the shelves. We will take that up on Monday's Political Rewind uh, when Andre Gillespie and Patricia Murphy will be with us. So until next week, um, that's it for us. I'm Bill Nygut. Have a good weekend and please take care and stay healthy. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>